The king's jealousy, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul, nephesh, that's the word there, of David. And Jonathan loved, the word loved there is ahab, him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. We start here in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, and we see in these first four verses that when David finished the after-killing-Goliath moment, and after that conversation with Saul moment, David's fame in Israel was absolutely a guarantee. God had done incredible things through his life. How could the nation of Israel not see that the fact that David was going to become very popular and well-known because of what God was doing through his life? And it was in front. It saved the nation of Israel. And he performed this remarkable, heroic deed that no one expected. This young man, probably about 18 or younger than 18 at the time, when he took a sling and a, and a rock and he took out this nine-foot-plus giant. And of course, this heroic deed and was initially welcomed by the leadership of Israel because everybody in the leadership didn't have the, the strength and the faith to step out and God to guide them to, to win. But David did. But we see that Jonathan, which is Saul's son, became knitted to the soul of David. Their minds were like-minded, we see. Their inner men were, they were like-minded in their mindset of, of their purpose of, and their love for God and their love for, to, for the nation and to, and, and to the, the, what they obviously found themselves in this leadership. Of course, he was, Jonathan was the second to the throne. But now David is into the scene here and Jonathan must have been just in absolute, you know, in awe. Because remember, Jonathan was appeared before in 1 Samuel 14, if you remember, when he remarkably, as a brave man of faith, initiated a one-man war against the Philistines, if you remember. But Jonathan and David was much the same. Now, many people thought there were two, like, two teenage kids, you know, and they're, you know, they're 16, 18 range there. I think about, I think about 18 is when we find David becoming a captain, or, or not a captain, in charge of the army of Israel. So he wasn't even 20 yet, because remember, he had to be 20 to be able to even go to war. So he got positioned in a position of leadership even for that because of what his achievement was. But even if you go back, we always times think Jonathan and David was much of the same age. But many, many biblical chronologists 
will tell you that they believe that Jonathan could have been about 25 years older than David. Not the same two teen, teenage kids, um, you, know, you know, like two teenage kids can be, and they're best of friends. We're talking a gap there, but it was their soul, their mind, the inner man that had were like-minded. There was just didn't matter the age uh, span, and it didn't matter they were different. Remember, Jonathan grew up now as in as the second to the throne. He was in privilege. He he he. All these things were now in his mindset. But remember, David's coming from a farmer. He was just taking care of sheep. He's coming from a different perspective. But whatever God spoke through the mouth of David. Open the eyes of Jonathan to say, that man is led by God. That man is, is like-minded. That man, I, I am sticking with it. And they make this covenant. What's that covenant? Well, we know what that covenant is because Jonathan took that robe of the position that he is now as the, as the son of the king and not only his robe, but he gave David his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Meaning, I recognize that God is working through your life, and God has called you to go to be the new leader, the new king. Even though that's what my position would ultimately be when my dad is out. No, no. I recognize God is doing that, and I'm going to be in the will of God, and then watch God work through your life to be in the position of leadership. He understood it and he knitted and said, I'm loyal to you. I'm making a covenant to, to you be your right-hand man. I'm right now, I'm son of the king. But they recognize the transformation of power was taking place here. Even though they were different. Jonathan was the firstborn, David was the lastborn. One had a, cr a crown prince, <laughs> and everyone expected Jonathan was going to be the next king of Israel. From an outward perspective, if they didn't know, if they weren't in the inner circle to know what was going on and, and seeing what was Samuel anointing David and all these other things going on, no one would have known anything different. Other than David, this young man's just tremendous faith and you can't ignore what God was doing in his life and raising up and now Jonathan becomes, with David, this closest of, of friends. So it's interesting, when you take a look at these verses, that because of what took place before David would go back to serving his dad and doing the sheep, now the king said, no, no, David, you're not going anywhere. You're t I'm going to tell your dad and the family you're not leaving anymore. You're, you're staying here uh, because of what you have achieved by taking down Goliath. And because of that uh, there, and we, because of the fact that, that all that was taking place, obviously, Jonathan and David... David may have shared with Jonathan what took place in the anointing, and, and maybe Jonathan knew or didn't know. It, 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 we don't know specifically how, but obviously there was something there that Jonathan knew and saw. If he heard it, witnessed it, whatever it may be, clearly this was going to take place. Now, when did this transformation take place? Remember, it's going to be a 20 years 20 years before David would receive the throne of Israel and replace Saul. So there's still a lot of time here. But Jonathan was already recognizing. And the will of God to 
bring David into this position, and it was going to be under God's timing and God's way this was going to happen. Now, unfortunately, people look and read this scripture, and they don't understand it scripturally and, and read it through. We find that there are some people out there, when you read that, and if you're looking for it, you can get the scripture to say whatever you want it to say if, you, if you're not careful. But some people read this and say that Jonathan and David had an uh, intimate relationship, more than just a, a bond and friendship, but more like a homosexual relationship, a love between David and Jonathan. And again, you, you, you really have to be looking for that to, to come to that conclusion because the Bible clearly says it, that's immoral. You're not to do that. And so what happens is as we continue, we will see that both Jonathan and David were godly men. They were, uh, God, David's heart was after uh, the Lord. God, that, God would have never said that about David if that was his problem and that was his sin. He would never have come to that conclusion. But the relationship between and David and Jonathan were very thing. We would call it, and I, I said, like, how do I classify this? And how, that would make sense to. And I think when over being in the military and you have this bond with people, especially if you go to war and you come back and they've saved your life. I mean, there's a closeness with guys that can be in sports and things like this. But I would call it a bromance. Is 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 a terminology that we have watched. Uh, some guys here, even in the church, they're so close and they, they do everything together. They just, you know, it's just, just this bromance. They just had such a tight relationship in, uh, in regards to the friendship that they have um, doing that. So that's the kind of what I can, I can picture. They're just, they had a bromance at the bottom because they were just like-minded, especially in their love for God and to, uh, to their lives to reflect that, that faith. So in verse 5, so David went out wherever Saul sent him. Didn't matter to Saul. I mean, it didn't matter to David. Whatever Saul wanted to do, he was just being obedient. And, and wherever he was going that Saul sent him, notice there, and behaved wisely. He was, being, he was behaving wisely in everything that, that Saul was asking him to go do. And Saul sent him over the men of the of war he sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants so think that through a little bit here's an 18 year old being put over all of these warriors all these men of 20 years and older and they accepted him why because they recognized what God was did through that man, taking down Goliath and uh, and, the, and the wisdom and the that that they saw in this leader and now it happened as they went, they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing and to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Wow. That didn't go well with the pride of a, of a leader. So what happened? Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed only a thousand. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? I mean, so you have to, to pause there, period, only a thousands, right? 
period. Then you have to read that, that question mark. In a perspective, I believe, is how he said, now, what more can he have but the kingdom? I mean, he's, they're making such a big hoo-ha. Again, he took out 10,000. Why are they not treating me the same way? And he got jealous. And anger kicks in. If you get jealous and anger is quick to follow. If you get angry, jealous will be quick to follow. There's going to be a pairing there. And we see it played out here. And now he say, well, are we going to detect the kingdom? Wait a minute, Saul. You already know you're losing the kingdom. At what point did he really come to conclusion, and I think he's in denial, that David has been anointed with oil and, 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 and bringing to light that he's the one that God is raising up? Because Samuel told him that there was another king already selected by God. Remember that. But he may not have known at this point. Clearly in his mind, settled in his mind, if he didn't know anything at all. So Saul eyed David. That is a very important little moment right there. Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now let me pause there for a minute and let me give you a little bit of warning. You can say you're not angry as someone. But if you're eyeing them as Saul eyed David, you're angry. You know what I'm talking about. You, you just cross the, cross the room and you're just eyeing them. You're like, the beams can go right straight through them. You know you're not right with God. You need to repent. You need to repent. Because that's not what God wants you to do to solve that problem. So we see here, David was fully submitted to Saul. It wasn't like he was being passive aggressive and trying to say, okay, you're a leader, but I'm going to not do anything you're asking me to do. And when you do tell me to do it, I won't do it fully, half-heartedly, and kind of avoid it and come up with excuses. He didn't do any of that. He literally did whatever Saul asked him to do, and he did it wisely, which means he did it good. He did it really well. And that everyone could recognize what God was doing through this man and how wise he was. It was easy to follow a leader who is wise, not foolish, not out of control. But David knew the way to be blessed. It was to work hard, to, be a, to, to, to go and work hard and do and be wise and to follow and trust God by faith. And that is where the blessings come from. And even though it was hard for him to be a blessing to a boss who wasn't good. He wasn't going to undercut Saul. He wasn't going to undercut his position. He was going to undercut his authority. He wasn't going to play games here. He was going to go out and do whatever he needed to do and be very wise. And, and that means God gave him wisdom to do the work. The question is, as we notice here, of <laughs> all the things, he set them over the men of war. That's a remarkable promotion. A remarkable promotion. But he took out the Goliath. So, of course, he quickly said, you need to get over my, the rest of the men because no one else did it. You did. 
What caused that happening is now, not only did he have popula uh, popularity from taking out Goliath, now he is the head of all the men of war. That is a prominent general position. But David wasn't a yes man or a people pleaser kind of man here. David did not seek for popularity. It was brought upon him because of what God was doing through him. Of course, you're, that man's going to be getting attention because of that. He didn't depend on anything of those carnal tools that we see today. People always trying to figure out how to get their own attention. Even if it's negative attention, people will do it just to get attention because they're so insecure. Then when you do something good, you're like, why, didn't I, why is anyone noticing? Didn't anyone notice all the good things I've been doing here and trying to help everybody else? Why? Again, the insecurity. That wasn't David. David became popular because he was a man after God's own heart. And people could see the love, the dedication of what he was doing. He could see the wisdom of God through that man. People could see the peace of God in him. Nothing shook him. He could take it down a giant and stare him right down. And as they go out in the war, why would you think that the king's always going to take out more people than the servants, right? So we see that obviously David, younger, but God's strength with him, of course, took out 10,000. I mean, he's going to take out the more of the people. You would think, again, Saul would be celebrating this. And he probably was celebrating because he was in the part of the parade and he was the, and all the tension was there and all of the things. And they're there with the, you know, the tambourines and they're singing and dancing. But when he found out, they saw him being better than Saul. The pride kicked in. The jealousy kicked in. The king's jealousy kicked in so bad it turned into anger. And if it's not dealt with, it'll go from anger, it will go down into a much more difficult things that we will see here tonight. What happens? It's a slippery slope. So why did David wisely receive this popularity? Well, we see it in, you know, eventually we'll see it in 14 of chapter 18, where it says David behaved wisely in all the, his ways and the Lord was with him. That is why it was so, the, the environment of the praise and the popularity, David still acted wisely in all his ways. It didn't go to his head because of all the attention. When you are praised for accomplishing or you're in a position of leadership and you're praised and you're popular, it isn't wise to let it go to your head. David didn't sit there saying, no, 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 you can't say thank you. No, 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 you can't do these. It's like, oh, no, I'm, you know, that's just not God. We get, we get all kinds of craziness about these kinds of things. But just look at what David did. He just, he just received it. But he didn't let it go to his mind. He didn't, he didn't let it dominate his thinking and change his opinion about himself. He kept the heart and the mind of a shepherd. Even in the season of great success, he knew where he came from. 
That's how you don't let popularity in a position that you find yourself in to cause you to think more highly of yourself. It wasn't easy. But David was tested in these areas as well, like everyone else, right? One of the, the one the devil wants to use to bring David down and the one Lord wanted to use David to build up was through these things. He never got this kind of affirmation from the sheep out there. He didn't get any affirmation from the sheep. Matter of fact, the sheep were probably pulling his hair out because they won't stay in order. They just keep wandering, disappearing and coming back, going too close to the edge. He warns them all the time, don't go there, don't see that, don't watch it go. And they still go over there to the edge. You have to bring them back. Why is this that David was there? Because I believe he was content. Because I believe he was content, he was happy before the Lord and just keeping the sheep. God decided to raise him up. He didn't go looking. He didn't get his resume out and say, hey, I can handle you know, 10,000 soldiers because I take care of 10,000 sheep. He didn't have a resume out there trying to self-promote himself. up, Looking for the next job to get the next filler, to get the next thing on his resume and get more money, next position, go from one 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 um, pasture to the next pasture to the next pasture and just substitute that. A pastor, go to the next bigger pastor, become the next bigger pastor and let me see how many more sheep I can have on my next big pastor. Nothing new under the sun. No, no. He was content being a shepherd. Doing what his father wanted to do. Now he's now under the the kingship, right? He's now serving this king, and he's going to do it wisely. Because his heart was right in the shepherd's field, and now he's going to have a right heart now in this position, which is bringing popularity. He's going to continue to seek the Lord and have wisdom to do what God's called him to do. Because he recognized this was God's doing. When you go out, and I go out looking for the next best thing and looking, looking for to, get, to climb the ladder and do all these kinds of achievements in, in church, uh, in, in the church circle versus of the world, you know, your secular world circles or whatever. When you go out there and try to achieve it yourself, watch out. But when you let God raise you up in bringing you into positions and it gets to be more of a leadership level and more in accomplishing bigger things for God, then you can be very content and very, very um, uh, humbled because you knew that is God doing all of it. Doing all of it. So we see here David's reaction to this negative and criticism from his brother Elib, back in 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 30. Remember we talked about how many times God will use your past situations and challenges and things that are challenging, testing you to actually use those for future for you to reflect back to and say, God brought me through that. He'll bring me through this. That person criticized, it was negative and criticism and tried to, tried to put me down. 
I, I just kept my eyes on God and just doing what God's called me to do. He brought me through that. And now it's coming again. And so it's just coming from a king. <laughs> Not just from my oldest brother. Now it's coming from a king and others. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And he'll bring me through it. Why? Because he brought it through the scorning and the criticism. David didn't like it. But it didn't crush him mentally. It didn't crush him spiritually. It didn't crush him physically. He, brother, was coming against him and tearing him down. It didn't discourage David to continue to do what he knew he was supposed to be doing. And so many times we see played out, most people are corrupt by praise and popularity. To the same degree, they are crushed by the, the negative and criticism and scorning by others. But because God was working in this young man's heart in the shepherd's field, David could live his life more for the Lord. Focused on the Lord more than focused on the people. It's not like he didn't care about people. Or what they thought. But he could put the opinion of man in the right perspective because he cared more about the opinion of God than other people. But through all of this situation and this parade coming back and taking out so many, we find that Saul is slipping farther and farther. Why? Because he didn't have the spirit of God. Everything he did and everything he was doing in the position of kingship was in the flesh. And when you walk in the flesh and not in the spirit and truth, you will turn jealous in many respects and many things. You will turn angry in many ways and many things. And these are the things that are traits you know you're not right in walking in the spirit when these kinds of emotions start coming up. And you must deal with it. We must deal with it very quickly. Because if you're not careful, we will continue to slide down as we will see Saul doing. Now, with this statement that Saul makes, now what more can he have but the kingdom? When I see those kinds of responses, it's a response out of emotion. And it's revealing in his heart, he knows he's losing the kingdom. And so it's coming out of his mouth what is in his heart about the fact that he's struggling to keep the kingdom. And that's when you start trying to hold on to things that God says you're not to touch, you're not having anymore, it's gone. You will try to struggle with other people. You will become jealous. You will get angry at people because you're trying to hold on to something God says you're not to have. And what happens is in this right here, this reaction he does is a typical overreaction in the proud and the insecure individual. Saul could have thought, David, well done. You've had your glory today. Everyone's recognized of the achievement of what God's done in your life. Keep serving the Lord, David. Keep doing what God's doing. No, no. He didn't react like that. Why? Because he wasn't right. His reaction, instead of saying, 
recognizing like everyone else what God has done in that person's life. No, they went to the negative side and he overreacts. He says, oh, now, what do you want? You want, the, you want everything now? You want the kingdom? You want everything? Might as well give it to you. Someone who is proud and insecure is, what, is that kind of a statement. You know why he has that kind of a insecurity? Because if you really look at it, if that proud insecurity, what is the real root of all of that sin? It's a guilty conscience. He remembered the prophet Samuel told him, the Lord has rejected you from the king over Israel. And that guilty conscience, because he did not do it God's way and wasn't living like he was for God, you see that guilt has not been dealt with and has not repented from. It will turn into these proud and insecure and jealousy and angry. These things will be true. Because you become a worrier. Saul constantly worried about the position he was in and what he had. When will God cast me off the throne? Who will he raise up to replace me? When is this all going to end? It's just insecurity. It's built upon and born from the seed of that guilt, an unrepented guilt. And he's overreacting. And we see this in people today. And then what happens is you're, becomes, you become very suspicious about everything. Saul becomes suspicious about everything. He looks at David's actions and suspicious with eyes. He eyed him. His thoughts were twisted by, by suspicion. He started hearing things and he's twisting them with suspicion. And that's a trait of someone who's down the road pretty far that needs to repent and come back to God or give their life to God. When you see these things playing out, it's going to guarantee. It's not like it's not going to happen. Verse 10, look what happens here. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. You're spinning out of control. There's going to be a distressing spirit that's going to come upon him again. And he prophesied inside the house. Don't, don't think he's prophesied about the future of God's word. and things. We'll talk about that here. It's a different word. But so David played music with his hand as at other times. He didn't change his ways. He was playing the harp just the same way that helped Saul bring down the anxieties and the worries and everything else, that distressing spirit. But this time, notice at the very end of verse 10, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. <laughs> it's like a rule. Someone's angry, you're walking in the house, and if you see a weapon in their hand, it's probably best not. Take a front. 
didn't stop David, did it not? Maybe it wasn't in his hand, and then once he started playing, it irritated him so that he grabbed the spear that's always probably near him. But the distressing spirit was the first mention. Remember back in chapter 16, verse 14 of 1 Samuel, and it came upon Saul and permitted by the Lord, notice that, when the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, these distressing spirits started coming upon him. But God used that as a means to bring David and start introducing him into the court to be able to minister to the king. And it would bring this soothing aspect from a suffering from the distressing spirit. And he'd notice here, he said, and he prophesied into the, inside the house. Why would a distressing spirit make Saul prophesy? Well, Saul wasn't speaking from the Lord at all. It's prophesied is a bad translation here. It is really a Hebrew grammar that you look at this. It means he started having this idle rambling. His mind was going squirrely and he was just rambling. He was scattered brained. He was just he was just talking to himself. And that is a good thing, to, or good thing, no, not good thing. It's, it's a good sign and indication when you're going squirrely and, and you're rambling and stuff because just, there's just something that seems to be a distressing spirit upon you. Yes, God's worship music can calm the soul. But sometimes when you're not in the right spirit, you try to turn on the, the Christian music and listen. You try to read. It actually gets you angry and riled up even more sometimes. If you're not right. And you're like, turn it off. I don't even want to hear Christian music. I don't want to hear even the word talking. I just, just shut it off. I don't want to hear anything. Saul kind of let the, the, stop the music by grabbing the spear. <laughs> turn the music off. I got the spear. You picture it. But I love this. Do you see, notice this man, David. If you've studied the life of David. Here's a man who's a warrior. <laughs> Here's a man who's a hard worker taking care of sheep. But he also had the delicacy of the hands to play the string instrument for the Lord. I love that. Obviously, David had skillful hands, both in war and in music ministry. <laughs> His music ministry is one day he's just out there and he's all cut up and dirty and war and bloody and everything else. The next time you see him in the music ministry. All with a humble heart. Nothing was beneath this man. Wait a minute. I'm in charge of all these warriors. I, I, I can't play music anymore. I can't be in the music ministry. You, you, I, 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 you know what position I hold in my company? Do you understand the position I hold in society? Do you understand who I am and my achievements? I can't be in no music ministry. David was didn't have that kind of heart. He had a humbled heart. He had a serving heart. He was a general of the army, but he, at the same time, he's willing to minister through the music ministry. 
But why did Saul grab the spear? Why? Because a heart that's not right, it will continue to spiral down and now we see the ultimate moment when it goes from jealousy into anger and resentment and uh, pride and insecurity and guilt and all these things are ravaging in his mind and he's now rambling in a distressed spirit the ultimate thing was going to happen is going to be murder that's what happens that's the that's the spiraling down we see it multiple times in the scripture that same pattern and what happened here in verse 11 and Saul not only just grabbed that spear but Saul cast the spear for he said I will pin David to the wall but David escaped his presence, how many times? Twice. <laughs> so think that through. Here comes this, this, the, here comes the spear. God gets David out. David's quick. David's observant. David's discerning, watching. He got out. David didn't run. He came back and played again. If a spear is at your in your hand, you probably will you're gonna probably use it. Or highly likely gonna use it here. And Saul certainly had it in there with a distressed spirit, and you're there to play the, the string instrument, the harp, to calm him down. And David's music at one time calmed him down in the distressing spirit. Now that same music is not calming him down. It's really gonna irritate him to the nth degree to the point where he's willing to to take you out permanently so you're not playing it anymore. Why? Because he's, he's falling deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. <laughs> the same music ministry sued Saul, made him refreshed and well, giving him relief from the distressing spirit. We saw back in chapter 16, verse 23. Now it has no effect, but actually an opposite type of an effect. A worse effect. And Saul refused to receive from David's ministry. And that's where you start seeing, I refuse, I'm not going to listen, I'm going to, I'm going to actually take you out. It brings us into that next stage, which is violence. I will pin David to the wall. But God, in his wisdom, and showing David, is able to get out of that that and of course perhaps it's remarkable when we see that it was twice twice that he had to escape David came back to play again to see if maybe this time it will calm the king down because he's losing his mind and he was willing to take that risk to come back again and to play the music for him to calm him down and what happened in verse 12 and now Saul was afraid of David wow after that David is Saul is now afraid of David? He just had the spear and threw the spear at him. <laughs> Why is now he afraid of David? Because the Lord was with him. Whatever, however, happened and David was able to escape him and come back, Saul recognized that God was with David. And that's why he became very afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence. Saul said, instead of repenting, instead of recognizing that God, the Lord was with David, 
He said, get him out of my presence. Get him away from me. And that's what happens when you're spiraling down and you see a man of God in your presence and you don't want to listen, you don't want to hear. You're going to take him out or you're going to remove him, get rid of him somehow, or you're going to get out. But he's the king. He's not going to leave, so he has to get him out. So therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain. Notice he's now demoted made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved what? Wisely in all his ways. Notice he didn't, re- he didn't rebel and say, wait a minute, I'm in charge of all of them, and now you're demoting me, and I'm only a, ch- a captain of a thousand? I'm not going to do a thing. I'm not going to help you. I've been here. God has been helping me, work through me to help you and save all this. And I saved your, the nation. I did this and that. No, David didn't do any of that. David still acted, behaved behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him, even in the demotion, even in the decrease in position. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, notice it's a very intensity of wiseliness, He was afraid of him. He was even. It didn't help him. Get rid of, get rid of David. Demote him. Put him in charge of thousands. That means you're going to be. You're you're not going to have any leadership really per per se compared to what you have. And because of that, God gave him even more wisdom that Saul could see, and it made him even afraid even more. But all Israel and Judah loved David. Because he went out and came in before them. He was one of them. He was just one of them. It didn't matter if he was in charge at all or he's now he's a captain in charge of a thousand. He was wise and he continued to serve and be wise and people recognized the Lord with them. A beautiful thing here. Great lessons for all of us. If you're in positions and, and that you have and you're not no longer in those positions and stuff, just do what David does. Just continue to serve the Lord and do it wisely. Then let the Lord lead you in doing. Didn't matter if you're in charge of anything. Now you're no in charge at all. You're still just serving God. Just do it God's way and be wise about it. And everyone will recognize what God is doing in and through your life. Now this, because he, he went in and out, went out and came in, it's a, it's a figure of speech in the Hebrew here, and it means David conducted successful military operations, successful in the position that he's in as a captain now. He, he's, God's hands of success was all over him. It was very wise, successful, all these things. As he came and went, he was just like one of them. He was just being... But God now had him in the position to be in. David never played the victim card here. He never played the victim card. I mean, he certainly looked like a victim, right? Oh, the king just kicked you out. He just demoted you. Oh, man, what happened? You know, oh, you won't believe the boss. See, the boss, he doesn't understand what I've done with this company. No, I was slave to this company. I'm always there early enough. No, he didn't play the victim card here. Even though he was attacked, (laughs) literally a spear coming at his head. He still did 
what was wise and God, just pleasing God, and God gave him the wisdom. He behaved wisely in all his ways. He did not give in to the victim's state of mind, thinking his fate was in the hands of the one who attacked him, or in the company, or in the whatever organization you find yourself in. You know, you, you, it's not... That's not who is your provision. God is your provider. Your God is your sustainer. Your God is your savior. Your God is your protector. He's your all in all. Not some organization. Not some position of, of in what you find yourself in. David knew his fate was in God's hands Period. And that gave him tremendous peace to continue to do and to let God work through him to do the hard things. But here we find Saul spiraling down to the next stage here in verse 17 through 19. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valent." valent for me and fight the Lord's battles. There's a condition here. Wait, 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 wait. So, wait, wait, why is this a condition here? For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistine be against him. Wait, wait a minute here. Saul, what are you talking about? You promised me your daughter by taking out Goliath. Why haven't you given me your daughter for taking out Goliath? You don't see David raising that up in the scripture here. But that was clearly that was supposed to. And everyone in the nation, the, the fighting people who were there knew that what the promise was. Saul was trying to take him out while he's trying. David was trying to help him. Saul was trying to take him out. Now he says, okay, I'm going to give you a wife, but you got to be valid for me. I need you to go back and do some more fighting before I make this happen. It's going to be under conditions. Why? Because Saul thought, wait a minute, God's with him. I can't, nothing's, he's, he, I can't get a hold of him. Why don't I not be look like the guilty guy by taking and putting a spear through him? I'm just going to put him out there with the, against the Philistines and let the Philistines take him out for me. Now he's jostling, he's now manipulating, he's now trying to jostle to get his advantage and, and take out another sign of someone losing it, not walking in, in the spirit. When they start manipulating and trying to make things happen a certain way to get what their achievements are. He's being secretive. So David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel? That I should be son-in-law to the king. I think God gave David tremendous wisdom here. Because before we saw that Saul, David just went out there and wisely did what the king asked him to do. This time, he's asking a question. Wait a minute. What's the catch here? <laughs> I, I saw that spear coming my direction here. Now you're saying I can marry your daughter? Something's not jiggy here. 
who am I? I'm not, I'm not worthy to be your son-in-law. Why would you want me to be your son-in-law? This is something that's not lining up here. And he got the wisdom from God to call them out on that with that question. But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Edriel, the Meholathite, as a wife. So David didn't, didn't grab a hold of the hook, the bait, the condition. He just sat there and didn't say, he basically refused to marry the daughter or paused and said, hey, there's a question here. Why, I just don't think I'm, 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 I'm worthy. I, it's almost like a humble kind of thing. I'm, who am I? I think God was giving him wisdom to ask that question. And because of that time, Saul gave up his, the, first, the first daughter to another guy. Even though she was supposed to be his wife way before this point. But it was a trap. And I believe God gave David wisdom to see that it was a trap. It's almost like Saul was saying, ah, bygones be bygones. You know, we're fine. You know, we're good. We're, 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 we're going to be good. We're going to work together. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You just go out there and go... Get some more Philistines. Get some more of those battles under your belt there, bud. And the carrot will be my daughter. Now, Saul's now manipulating people using his own family to do it. Bad sign. Saul still wanted David dead and gone. He just wasn't going to throw a spear anymore. He was going to let the Philistines take him out. He was, he was, we, we would consider that being smart in the flesh. But God knows and sees all of that manipulation. Manipulation with hidden agendas and concealed motives and seekiness and secretiveness and, and, and isolation and all these other things that come with it. Oh, Puff him up. You're so valiant, David. You're tremendous. You're incredible. Let's go out and get rid of some of my enemies a little bit more. But so David asked the question, who am I? Who am I? That you would want me to be your son in law. So what happens if we t see the things takes place here, and we go into verse 20 and it says, Now Michal, that's the, the second daughter, Saul's daughter, loved David. This wasn't an arranged marriage. This is actually, <laughs> the daughter actually loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him. What is it about your daughter that you're not going to tell your future son-in-law? Is she going to be a snare? Oh, that, that may not be good here. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly. There it is. Anytime you're doing things in secret, not a good sign. And say, look, the king has delight in you. 
and all his servants love you. You're accepted, David. It's safe. Come on, bud. You take, take this step. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does this seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? He's like, okay, so the king said it to me. Now you're coming back over a period of time. Now you and his servants and all of them are saying it. Not the king, but you're saying it. Trying to get, is it light for me to be a son-in-law? This is a serious thing to be a son-in-law. To the king. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. So now they went back and told the king, Hey, this, David didn't bite onto it. He still says, hey, is this a light thing to become the son-in-law of a king? So they immediately went back. The servants told Saul and told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Again, he's still trying to find a way to get David to go back against the Philistines so the Philistines would more likely will take out David in his mind. So we're sitting there saying, okay, before it's like just go take and do a few battles. Now he's upped it up a little bit higher here and he says, I want you to go get and kill a hundred Philistines because of course you're going to kill a Philistine before you... Chop off the foreskin. <laughs> They're not going to be awake. They're going to be dead when they do, he does that. Meaning he's stepping it up even more in regards to specifically challenging and poking and pressing David. Are you up to this challenge? Sometimes that happens. People will try to poke and provoke you. Sometimes indirectly, sometimes very directly. He says, I don't need a dowry. I don't need the money. I know you're poor. I know you're saying you're poor. That's why you can't come up with a dowry to become my son-in-law. I'll take that excuse away from you. You don't need a dowry. We recognize you don't have the money. You're a shepherd's guy coming in. You still haven't been in a position to be able to have this kind of money that is required as a dowry to give to me. I'll take that excuse away. You just go to get the Philistines, take out 100 of them, get their foreskins, bring them back. Now the excuse is gone. That If that was an excuse that David had, excuse is gone. What is David going to do? Well... Verse 26, so when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. I can now get married because I don't have to come up with the money. I don't have the money. I can actually go take out some Philistines and get some foreskins. Now the days had not ex expired. Therefore, David arose and went, and he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. Not just 100, but 200. And David brought their foreskins back, and they gave them in the full court. The full court. Everyone was there. Everyone. Can you picture the full court of all the entourage? All of the, everybody who was leadership in the kingdom. 
He comes back. He's alive. That must have really got him going. And didn't come back with just 100. He threw 200 foreskins at him. Gave him the full court to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. What else is he going to say? That was, the, that was the agreement. No dowry? Okay. Take out uh, 100 Philistines? Okay, I'll do 200 to show my commitment to take and marry your daughter. <laughs> Isn't it a good thing that the Bible is not illustrated? That would be a bad picture. Bad, bad picture. Verse 28. Thus Saul, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So that his name became highly esteemed. <laughs> so he's out there. He's still doing it. Now you've got your father-in-law Continually your enemy. It's not a good, good environment. But David still loved the daughter. Daughter loved him. And people loved David. Because David, just the wisdom of God, he's faithful to do what God's called him to do. Remember, as you think this through, David had the ability to take out Saul at any time. If he could take out Goliath, he could take out the king. But David's heart was right with God because he knew that would be wrong to take out the king. He was patient to say, I know I'm going to be king. I can just be patient and continue to serve until the Lord does the timing to remove Saul and bring me in. He didn't have to force Saul out to bring himself in. That's the problem so many times with transitions of leadership is the, the one, the young guy or whoever's coming in is always looking to force the other one out instead of waiting for the right timing that God is orchestrating. And that's where problems come. But not David. David trusted the Lord. David trusted the Lord's timing when a person is to leave that position and when God will bring someone new into that position and you just let God do the work on both sides. And it's always good and right then. When you do what Saul's doing and, 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 and trying to manipulate things to make it happen the way he wants to happen, He's just going to get more angry and more discontented and more all kinds of junk and anger and all just bitterness and everything else is going to start settling in the heart because he's trying to manipulate. He's trying to be deceitful about things. He's outright violence against David and David is not responding. He's just continuing to do what he's supposed to do and, and with wise behavior and high esteem from everybody around with a humbled heart. He's not... 
he had, he had the position of kingship. He just knew he was waiting for God to do the work. Philippians 2.9. It says of Jesus, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which above every name. Why was it that the name of Jesus become highly esteemed? Why? Well, we see it in verses 5 through 8 of that same chapter, chapter 2 of Philippians. It says this is, Let this mind be in you, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. How did he become highly esteemed? Becoming very humble, even to the death. How, do, did, how did David become esteemed? He was very humble, and he was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. See, it's this mind, it's this heart that was in David. And it's this mind, it's this heart that is in Jesus. And God wants us to have this mind and this heart as we see in our Savior Jesus. We need to have. God wants this mind and heart to be in each of us. Humbled. Humbled servants. Death, dying of self, less of you, more of Christ. And let God's wisdom just fill you and you're walking in the Spirit and truth. You know, you think through, it says much of these events really encouraged David. Even in his difficult times when he was growing up, he, those were used by God for when he got older. And when he got into that, that late teens, or, you know, 17, 18, then, and, and, and again, he, difficult times came in. But God reminded him how he brought it through his older brother, and now he's going to through here. And it will happen as we can see his life as King, King David, as it goes through. We're going to find that God is going to remind him how he brought him through other things. He'll bring him through other, the bigger things that he's in now a position as king. And it, may, it should remind us all, and we'll end this, this right here with Romans 8.31. At the very end of 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Father, we thank you for your word. This evening, we thank you for allowing us to be able to gather here in person and online, that you would bless all those, Lord, who came. And may you just, Holy Spirit, just use your word to minister to your people. Encourage your, your people through these difficult times we see around the world and maybe personally dealing with now. But we also, Lord, I pray that you use this word to reach the lost and lead them to you, Lord Jesus, to surrendered life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.